We all face temptation. To be tempted is to be human. But what is it? How does it work? And how do we deal with it in our lives? Well, these are all questions that Chris will address today as we dive into part three of our series in James. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Hey, uh, if you brought a Bible, open up to James chapter one. Yes, we're still in James chapter one, week three of our series in James. Before I jump in, just want to give you guys uh, a little update on what's going on with uh, bridging the gap. Um, you know, we'll be talking about this for the next couple of years. There's exciting things going on all over the place. Uh, one of the things that needed to happen for us to be able to do the child care center across the street during the week is we needed a outdoor playground space that's required by the state of West Virginia. Uh, and so we uh, asked the city of Wheeling if we could use space on the plaza behind the, uh, the building itself. Uh, they were very excited about solving this childcare problem for the city, which we're going to go a long way to doing that. Uh, and so not only did they give us permission to use the space behind there, about 2,600 square feet for a playground for the child care center, um, but they used the American Recovery Act funds to actually pay for the playground. So they voted on that this week. And... Um, <clears throat> And so, uh, you know, I have to say this project, uh, that, that, that project across the street is so much bigger than just the money we raised. Um, we're, we're, ha we're seeking grants, we're seeking, um, you know, things like this to bring all the pieces together to make it happen. But we're finding great favor wherever we're going, and I'll keep you updated on, on, on that as it comes together. But uh, really, really excited about that playground. That makes this really a, a possibility for the kids center, for the, for the child care center, and it's great to be partnering with our our uh, local uh, authorities and government to be able to do that. So uh, keep praying, keep praying. There's a lot still yet to come together, uh, but I think that building, that program, along with what we're doing on Sunday mornings is gonna be just such a huge statement to our community, already has been. So thanks guys. You know, your generosity uh, on the front end, we couldn't have even pursued any of this if we hadn't, you know, if we hadn't stepped up back in April and, and done what we've done. So way to go. All right, James chapter one, we are in verse 13 this week. Uh, I hope you brought a Bible. If you didn't, bring one next week. If you need a Bible, stop out at the table in the lobby. Uh, we've got all kinds of Bible options for you out there, and, uh, and you can uh, figure out what's a, what's a good one. But get a good Bible, keep it with you, bring it to church. All right. Uh, this week, we're talking about uh, temptation. Has anybody ever been tempted? Ten people have been tempted. Church people lie, lie, lie. <laughs> Guys, to be tempted is human, right? This is, this is something that absolutely applies to every single one of us. If you don't understand how temptation works, if you don't understand the dynamics of temptation, you will fall to temptation. And so James gives us a very clear picture of how this works. He's, and he's insistent we need to understand what it is, how it works, and how we deal with it in our lives. So very important. So in verse 13, are you there yet? I hope you're there yet. Read along with me. It says, when tempted, 
No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Point number one, write it down. Temptation doesn't come from God. Temptation doesn't come from God. You need to understand that. Because one of the things we're tempted to do, (laughs) we're tempted when tempted to blame God. God never tempts us to do evil. He allows us to be tested, to test the authenticity of our faith. Will we stand? Are we really surrendered to him? Do we really believe? he, He allows us to be tested to strengthen our character, but he doesn't tempt us. He doesn't, um, and we do have this tendency to blame God when we find ourselves in trials or when we find ourselves tempted. In verse 14, James goes on. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Underline, dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Point number two, write this down. Temptation doesn't come from others. Temptation doesn't come from others. We're, we're, very, we're very, very much love to blame either other people or the devil. You know, the devil made me do it. Anybody ever say that? The devil, devil, made, devil didn't make you do it. We are dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed. Now, that, when he talks about dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed, it's, it's, it's a fishing metaphor, really. You know, um, uh, or, or, or a metaphor of a harlot tempting a young man off the good path and into sin. We're dragged away by our desires. And, and, and when we are, we love to blame somebody. We love to blame God. We love to blame other people. And James says, no, 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 no. It's, it's in you. It's, what's in, it's that appetite inside of you. That's where the root of the problem lies. You know, when, um, when Adam and Eve uh, sinned, God comes to Adam and goes, what have you done? And he goes, well, it's this woman you gave me, God. So he blames the woman and he blames God. You gave her to me. It's your fault. It's her fault. It's not my fault. Right? We see right into, the, into our human nature. Of course, Eve then turns around and blames the serpent. And as they say, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. So... <laughs> So, so, but, but that's what we do. We want to blame. We want, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's God's fault. It's, it's somebody else's fault. It's the devil's fault. It's not my fault. Which brings me to point number three. Oftentimes we'll want to blame the thing that tempts us. So we blame the bait. Temptation doesn't come from the bait. It comes from the appetite inside of you. And we're all tempted by different things, aren't we? Some of us are tempted sexually. Some of us are tempted towards greed or pride or ego or power or pleasure or whatever. Any fishermen here? Anyone? All right, well, less fishermen than people who are tempted. All right, so when you're fishing... When you're fishing, it's not the hook, it's not the bait, it's the appetite of the fish. And you know this because you can throw out the wrong bait, and if the fish isn't hungry for that bait, they're not going to hit on it. 
They're not, they're, they're not going for that. It's, it's what they are hungry for that entices them off, right? So does the hook and the bait and all that play a, play a part? It sure does, but it's not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is the appetite within the fish. The root of the problem for each one of us in temptation and in sin is, is the hunger, the appetite within us. We're drawn away by our own desires, which brings me to point number four. You have to know your own desires. You have to know yourself. You need to know your own weaknesses. Go ahead and write that down. You need to know your own weaknesses. You know, the other day I was, uh, I was out working in the yard and, and uh, I came across a pile of uh, regurgitated dog kibble. And so as I was working out in the, in, the, in the yard, I looked back, and sure enough, there was Gus eating his pile of regurgitated dog kibble. It's disgusting. It's a weakness for him, I think. I'm not quite sure. Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, I guess this is common, has been for thousands of years. As a dog returns to his vomit, so fools repeat their folly. We return to whatever that appetite is over and over and over again. You need to know your own weaknesses. How do you figure that out? Well, let me encourage you to write these questions down. I'll go slow so you can actually keep up. First one is, first question is this, where have I fallen before? Where have I fallen before? Spend some time meditating on that. What people and situations tempt me most? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Think about that. And am I playing with fire but not yet been burnt? You know, a, a lot of times uh, the enemy will allow us to get away with something for a while before he sets the hook, so to speak. You know, and with the whole fishing analogy, uh, anybody fish for steelhead? Less people. Where's Josh? Josh, I know you. Um, fishing, for, fishing for steelhead on Lake Erie, they're very finicky fish. You got to give them some line, right? They, they take the, the bait and the hook into their mouth, and if you pull right away, they're, they're just kind of they're playing with it. They're, they're seeing, testing it to see if it's, it's safe. But if you don't pull on it and you let them have some line, they'll run for a while, right? And then, and then I don't know how you know this, but fishermen do, they know when it's time, like they've bitten down on the bait and the hook, and then you pull and you set the hook and you got them and they're delicious. Um, they really are. Um, that's, what, that's what the enemy does with us. He gives us some line. There are some of us who are in the middle of, of playing with temptation, playing with sin in our lives. We haven't gotten burned yet. And maybe you're even starting to think, well, it's never going to catch up to me. Oh, no, it will. This is how the game's played. 
There's a pond in my neighborhood that people come and fish at, and uh, these fish in this pond are fed, right? So they, they throw in fish chow all the time. So when people come to fish, they'll often throw in, a, they'll do what's called chumming the water. They'll throw in some fish food, get, get the fish eating. They're eating free, right? They're not getting hooked. They're, they're just, you know, it's just, it's food. And then they put some bait on the hook and throw it in the middle of that, and the fish bite, and they catch and they catch fish. Oh, we'll get away with it for a while. It will eventually catch up to you. Maybe you're getting away with it right now, but it will eventually catch up to you. Guys, this is why faith is so important, because God knows what will kill us. He knows what will hurt us long term. He calls it sin. That's why it's called sin, not because God is a killjoy, but because God loves us and doesn't want us to ultimately end up on a hook. And we think we know better because we're getting away with it for a while. But in reality, if God says this is bad for you, it's bad for you even if you're getting away with it right now. And it will sooner or later catch up with you. And at the end of the day, and this is so important, it's vital that you understand that that temptation comes from in here. Right? That it's, it's about the appetite in you. It's not about the fact that there's bait out there. It's not about the fact that, you know, God is tempting you or somebody else is tempting you or the devil made you do it. You're dragged off by your own desires. And the sooner you own that and the sooner you know that, the sooner you can beat it, the sooner you can uh, resist temptation, the sooner you can get free from it. But as long as we are blaming God or other people or the devil or anything else, you will never be free. You'll never get free. This is so important. This is, guys, it's interesting because what does it require for us to admit that it's on us? Humility. Right? The last three weeks, humility, it's all come back to humility. I, I think, again, like I said week one, I think humility is probably the preeminent theme of how to live a great life laid out in the Bible. And the humility to admit that, ah, it's on me. But that is where freedom begins. All right. And once you admit that, you can move on to point five, which is this. When tempted, run away. When tempted, run away. The Bible's very clear on how to deal with temptation. Whatever that thing is for you, that desire, you don't entertain it, you don't resist it, you don't swim up to it like a fish and go, oh, I'm just going to look at it for a while. Right? No, no, no. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. Run away. Run away. We don't swim up to it and go, well, I'm just going to float here next to the bait because it's so beautiful. Right? We don't, we don't do that. We get the heck out of there. And folks, reading your Bible more doesn't fix this. Going to more small groups doesn't fix this. It, it, you know, run. Run away. 
The, uh, one of my favorite scenes in uh, The Lord of the Rings is when Gandalf and, and uh, the, um, their little band of, of adventurers are they're under the mountain and they're running away from this like demigod demon thing. It's huge. And they're running and they're running and they get to this bridge and Gandalf turns around and he puts down his, his staff and he says, you will not pass. You guys know the scene I'm talking about and this big fire-breathing demon thing. And, uh, and they get into this fight and they're going back and forth and the bridge collapses and his friends are out beyond the bridge, right? But they're just standing there watching going, <gasps> and ultimately, the demon falls down into this abyss, but as he's fallen, his whip catches Gandalf by the ankle and pulls him down, and, and he, he's holding on to the edge, and he looks at his friends, and he goes, run, you fools! He's like, what are you doing standing here watching? Get out of here! Get away! That's how we deal with temptation. Run! And this is not just sex, although it does include that. It's money, power, ego, and anything else our human hearts can grow fond of or addicted to or want those desires inside of us. And we are supposed to flee temptation. But that's not what we want to do. We want to play with temptation. We want to swim up next to it and watch it for a while. But we are to flee temptation, run away. This is the, if you get one thing out of this message, get this out of this message. Run. We flee temptations as we learned week one. We resist trials. So when we're in a difficult situation and God is not providing a way out, an immediate way out of that difficult situation, we we endure and we build perseverance. We resist the trial. But in a temptation, we run away. Because you're never as strong as you think you are. You're not. It kind of works like kryptonite. You know, put Superman next to kryptonite. What happens to Superman? He gets weaker, right? And that's what temptation does to us. We get weaker. It gets more embedded inside of us the more we entertain it. That's why I tell young couples who are dating or engaged and trying to maintain their sexual purity, that's usually a temptation for them, right? And so, you know, it's like, well, don't hang out alone in the apartment together and make out. Is that going to make you stronger or weaker? It's going to make you weaker, right? Yeah. Whatever your temptation is, don't set a line for yourself, you know, three steps back and don't cross it. Run away. If you know you're weak in that area, don't mess around with it. Don't mess around with it. Then in verse 15, it says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. He's using... He's using the metaphor of, of pregnancy, right? You know, we have conception, we have gestation as, as, as it grows, and then it gives birth to sin. So our own evil desires are the appetites within us. The Bible calls them lusts, and the word for lust in the Bible is not, is not 
uh, exclusively sexual. When we think of lust in our language, we think exclusively sexual. It's not. It's whatever that appetite or desire is. And so if we entertain it, what happens is we end up becoming pregnant with it, and it grows inside of us. And the more we feed it, the more it grows. And there's this mental battle that goes on inside of us, and we ponder it, and we fantasize about it, and we give it a place in our heart to grow. And if you visualize it long enough, it will grow and grow and grow until you give birth to it. That's what he's saying. You're eventually going to do it. This is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, look, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that even if you look on a woman lustfully, it's like or as if you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Now, uh, and he also said about murder, if you're angry with somebody, you know, if you hold on to bitterness and anger and you hold on to that, it's as if you murdered them in your heart. Now, Jesus is doing two things there. First thing he's doing is he's making it clear to the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders who thought they didn't need a, a Savior, they didn't need forgiveness, that they, were, that they had it together, um, that we all need a Savior, that there is sin in every single one of us. He was leveling the playing field as far as that's concerned. But the second thing he was doing is he, he was expressing what he understood very clearly, and that is... It starts in our mind, it starts in our hearts. And if we give it space to grow in there, it will eventually give birth to sin. We will eventually do whatever that thing is. It just kind of comes out. And Jesus says as much in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. You fill your mind and your heart with good things, and good things are going to come out of you. It's just an extension. It starts in our inner world. And then he says, and an evil man brings evil things out of what? The evil stored up in his heart. Our inner world becomes our outer world. It is a universal, uh, Im immutable principle. It happens and so with temptation, if we choose to play with it, if we choose to look at it, if we choose to feed it, whatever it is for you, it grows and it grows and it grows and it will eventually give birth to sin, which will eventually kill you. I love Proverbs 4, 23, one of my favorite verses. In fact, I, I think this is, a, if you want to memorize a verse and keep this in mind always, this is a good one. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything flows from what's in, in here and up here. And the more you think about it, the more it grows, the more it grows and grows till you give birth to sin. And then it says in verse 15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we end up doing the thing that we, we have pondered, that we have played with. Instead of running away from that temptation, we've tried to re resist it. We've played with it. We've thought about it. We've visualized it. We've looked at pictures of it. We've, you know, whatever. We've, and it's grown and grown inside of us, and then it eventually gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. The consequence 
is death. Now, make no mistake, doesn't necessarily mean physical death. You know, when Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned, death and sin entered our world. They didn't die physically immediately at that point, did they? The relationship with God got jacked up. The relationship with one another got jacked up. There's death happens in a variety of ways. And oftentimes, they're delayed, aren't they? Again, I think this is something that, because we're such an immediate, um, in-the-moment culture, we have a hard time putting together that, oh, just because, just because it hasn't imploded at this moment doesn't mean that it won't implode down the road. And um, God, and again, God doesn't call sin sin because it's, it's fun and he's a killjoy. He calls it sin because it will hurt you. You know, that, that emotional affair that you got into on Facebook with your, your ex from high school, you know, it, it, at first it was like, oh, I wonder maybe things weren't going so well in the marriage or he or she wasn't meeting your needs in the moment. And so you're like, well, you know, I wonder, I wonder how my ex is doing. I'll send him a direct message. Well, there's no harm in that. I mean, we're just friends, right? Then we go back and forth and back and forth, and you can feel the emotional attachment beginning to build. Now, does that implode your marriage at that moment? No, the other person doesn't even know anything about it. Now, what it will begin to do in short order is erode intimacy in, the relation, in your marriage relationship. What it will just immediately begin to do is undermine trust. The dynamic will shift, but it doesn't necessarily blow up the family or blow up the marriage. If you keep entertaining it, it will. Maybe this year, maybe next year, maybe the year after that. It will eventually end up in a physical affair which will steal from you all the things that really matter in this life as far as your, your marriage and family are concerned. Does that make sense? Just because it doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean it's not going to end up there. It will. There's a gestation period. This is why Billy Graham... And his team had what they call now the Billy Graham rule because they understood this starts, this starts in the head, it starts in the heart. And so because of that, we're not going, to, we're not going out to lunch alone with somebody from the, of the opposite sex because there's a chance for an emotional attachment to start there. We're not meeting alone unless there's a window in the room with somebody of the opposite sex because there's an opportunity for, for things to begin that will ultimately end up in their own destruction and great harm to the ministry. And so they just set, set the line six steps back and said, we're not going there. Not a bad idea. The battle has to be fought in your heart and your mind or you will lose. And this is the part the enemy doesn't want you to understand because if you don't understand it, then you're easy pickings, right? If you understand it, you can run away. And we think, no, it's just a thought. It's just a fantasy. Nobody's hurt. But it is taking root in your heart, and it will eventually grow and grow until it is born out as sin. And sin, sin will rob you 
of the good parts of life. It will ultimately end up in death, spiritual separation from God. And we get into trouble because it's a delayed death. Delayed consequences. And we can get away with it for a while. We can run with that bait for a while because the enemy's given us line, right? He's given us some, some room to run. And this is why in verse 16, James says with emphaticness, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. It is so important that you understand this. It's so important that you get this for the sake of your own soul, for the sake of your relationship with God, for the, the sake of all that is good and right and blessed in this world and the next. You have to understand how temptation works. Don't be deceived. And he's pointing to the truth that I just laid out for you, that our lust will lead to sin, that we have to run. And then in verse 17, he says, and don't ever make the mistake of blaming God or anybody else. God brings only good. In verse 17, he says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What he's saying there is God pours blessing into our lives, so much so that he made a way for our redemption, for our adoption into his family, for the forgiveness of our sin, for the empowerment of his spirit living inside of us to change us from the inside out, to give us the ability to resist and flee from temptation. That's what God does. This other reality, don't be deceived about it, but it doesn't come from God. It comes from within us. Got to know that. A few more things on this topic of temptation that we need to understand. And, and, and one of them is simply this, point number six. Temptation is not sin. Don't confuse temptation with sin. We're all tempted. To be human is to be tempted. Right? We all have things that we have a hunger for. It's what we do with that hunger that determines the outcome. You know, in, in Genesis 3, if Adam and Eve said, you know what, serpent, we're going to have nothing to do with that. You're a liar. God is telling the truth. And we're going to follow him. Would they have sinned? No. They had been tempted to sin. You know, Jesus is tempted at the beginning of his ministry. The, the, he, um, and, and he is tempted for He's tempted for power, he's tempted for glory, he's tempted for food because he, he had been hungry. And Jesus resisted all of those temptations. Did Jesus sin? No, Jesus didn't sin. He was tempted. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Ever been tempted to lie? So was Jesus. Ever been tempted to um, tempted towards greed? So was Jesus. You ever been tempted sexually? So was Jesus. In every way. And yet he did not sin. Temptation is not sin. 
Temptation is common to all of us. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He'll, protect, he'll provide a way out for you to run away from the temptation. It's common. It's to be human. Run, you fools. How do we run? Well, sometimes it's just putting very clear lines in our lives that we're not going to cross. This is my red line because my temptation's over there and I'm not going to go near it. Sometimes it's that. You know, one of the, one of the, the dynamics of an appetite is you starve it. Now, this does, you know, like if you just haven't had any food, you got to eat, right? So, but, but like, say, I really love sugar. Anybody like sugar? Now we get the hands going up. All right. My name's Chris, and I'm a sugaraholic. All right. You, you, you know how you, you, you stave that off? You starve it. You stop eating sugar. And over time, what will happen is your appetite for sugar will begin to decrease and decrease. The same thing is true with temptation. We starve them. Well, what about addictions? So many of us wrestle with addictions as part of our culture today. An addiction is, a, is an appetite that's grown out of control. You're not playing with temptation anymore. It's playing with you. Right? You, you fed it so much and so often that it's, it's almost like it's taken over. And we get addicted because we, because we have played with our temptations. Again, it's not God's fault. It's not other people's fault. It's not even the, the bait's fault. It's our fault for playing with it. And until we understand that, it's why, it's why the first couple steps of the 12 steps are admitting you have a problem and admitting that you're not God and you need God because you're out of control. It's on you. Now, different people get addicted to different things, right? And so maybe you know somebody who's used drugs and they didn't get addicted, but you did like the first time or whatever else there is. We're all, we all have different appetites, right? But in any case, we find ourselves out of control. And that may be chemical. It may be behavioral. Maybe it's a gambling addiction or a shopping addiction or a food addiction maybe sexual. That's a common one in this culture. But in any case, you feel like you just can't stop on your own. And the truth is, you can't. At that point, you're going to need help. You're going to need God's help. You're going to need other people's help. It comes back to the humility of admitting that you are a broken, sinful person. 
starts with admitting that you're addicted. It starts with humbling yourself. And here's, I think, the catch-22 in all of this. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to admit to themselves. Nobody wants to admit to God. And nobody wants to admit to other people, especially in church where we all have it together, right? <laughs> a bunch of dysfunctional people. Um, no, we are. We are a bunch of dysfunctional people. But the way out is admitting to ourselves, admitting to God, and admitting to some other people that I am out of control. It's the humility. It's the way to get free. You need help. All right. Which brings me to point number seven. Seven-point message. This is a big one. All right. Failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whoever you've done it to or done it with, Jesus died for that too. Jesus died for that too. He didn't just die for the little stuff. It is not too late for you to turn around and come home. It's not. In fact, God is pacing the front porch of heaven waiting for you to do that. Now, that doesn't excuse going on in a life of sin and entertaining and, and playing with sin in our lives. God will not be played. Be totally clear on this. God will not be played. We can't live like hell all week long and then on Sunday confess our sins and God has to forgive us and it's all good. If you're playing that game, stop it. God will not be played. But if you want to truly turn around and come home to God, if you want to find freedom, God is waiting with arms wide open. He wants you to come home. You are not beyond redemption. One of my favorite passages is in Romans 7, the end of Romans 7, because I can so relate to the Apostle Paul when he writes, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another work or another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of, of sin at work within me. He's saying, I want to do good, but I end up doing evil. And the good I want to do, well, I can't do it. And, and, and there's this battle going on inside of me, right? Anybody ever been there? Hopefully we don't live there all the time, but, but man, we, I think we all go through that season and or in and out of that season. And he's like, I am out of control. And he acknowledges that in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he declares the answer in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because whatever you've done, whatever you're into right now, don't play with it anymore. Turn and walk away from it. God waits, arms wide open, ready to forgive, ready to adopt, ready to empower you to change. And don't think that you can change without Him. You know, you can apply everything that we've talked about, 
But if you don't have the power of God's Spirit at work within you, you will not get free, especially if you're addicted. It is, yes, we have to do our part. Yes, we have to understand. We have to know how temptation works and run away and, and all of those things. But you need the power of God at work as well in your life. You need His Spirit inside of you. Or you'll end up in bad places. And if you'll sincerely seek Him, He's got you. And you won't be perfect this side of heaven. I'm not perfect this side of heaven. The Apostle Paul wasn't perfect this side of heaven. The only person perfect this side of heaven ever was Jesus. But if you're willing to take sin seriously, if you're willing to humble yourself and seek God authentically, not just for a ticket to heaven, but for a relationship right now, he's got you. He's waiting. He's full of mercy. And today is your day. And, you know, and I know there are some of us who are like, hey, you, but you don't know what I've done. I'm telling you, God didn't just die for the little stuff. You know, there's, a, there's this guy in the, the Old Testament who uh, had an affair with his best friend's wife, got her pregnant, and then had his best friend murdered. Ends up being one of the heroes of the Old Testament, King David. But he had a come to Jesus moment. He turned. He dealt with the sin in his life. There's another guy in the Old Testament, out of control temper. I mean, he just killed a guy one day just because he didn't like what he was doing ends up leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt. His name's Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. Or Abraham. You know Abraham, the guy who under, when he gets under pressure just lies. Oh, Egyptians, she's my sister, not my wife. Go ahead and take her. The father of faith. Or Peter. You know Peter? Jesus, is, Jesus calls him Peter because he's the rock, right? He promises Jesus, I will never leave or forsake. I have got you. I'll go to my death, Jesus, if that's what it takes. And within 12 hours, he's calling down curses on himself. I've never known the guy. Peter. No, Jesus died for the big stuff and the little stuff. And there are several of us here today, I would venture to say, that you are out of control in the arena of temptation and sin. You're, maybe it's growing within you. Maybe you're acting out. I don't know. But I do know God is waiting for you to turn around and come home. And he died for that too. And he died for you too. And he wants more than anything to save you from the destruction you're heading towards. The question is, will you turn around and come home to him? The invitation's wide open. I want to invite us to close our eyes, bow our heads, and, and get right with God. Make no mistake, don't be fooled. You have to understand how this works and what's at stake.
And we have to choose him. He's already chosen you. You have to choose him. And so just in the quiet of your, your, your mind, have a conversation with God. Say something along these lines. God, I am a sinner. I've been playing with temptation. I've been acting out in sin. Whatever it is for you. I feel unforgivable. But I need your forgiveness. I invite you now to come into my, my heart. Lord, give me the power, your power, to live a different kind of life in this world. And I ask that you would adopt me into your family. That you would lead my life. And that you would help me to find freedom from, from these things, that, the sin that so easily entangles. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Father, lead my life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.